Good morning, everyone. I invite you to find Luke chapter 10 in your Bible. We'll be at the very end of Luke 10. I want to especially welcome everyone uh, just popping into town or popping into Prairie Hill uh, for a one-off experience uh, for Thanksgiving with family or for whatever reason. Um, Welcome you today especially. One thing that it may be helpful for you to know is that we're on a journey right now at Prairie Hill through the Gospel of Luke. It's going to take us about two years to get all the way through. We're getting close to halfway. Um, The reason we're doing that, the reason that we've undertaken such an extended journey through the Gospel of Luke is because we are really, really, really concerned, especially that at this point in history, in our context, that we represent Jesus well to everyone that we encounter that we were really concerned that we not be people who just shout truth at people um, or throw sound bites at people or throw articles or posts or do any of that stuff that's pretty easy to do. We're undertaking the harder work of representing Jesus in a holistic sense, like with our words and thoughts and actions and bodies and our money and everything in every way. And so we've come to the Gospel of Luke to have um, our right thoughts and behaviors affirmed and to have lots of our wrong thoughts and behaviors confronted and rebuked for the purpose of life change and more faithfully and accurately representing the kingdom of God to people. And so we've made it all the way here to the end of Luke 10, week by week, being conformed little by little uh, to the image of Christ. We're actually going to be out of Luke for quite a while um, after today. It's probably not going to be until March that we get back into the gospel of Luke. We'll give our attention to Christmas things and um, a few other things right after the first of the year. Um, But here we are today. It's not a long passage. It's only five uh, verses. We're going to begin in verse uh, 38. It's a pretty familiar passage. It's a very important passage, um, but it's it's really, really hard to put this into practice. So what we're going to see affirmed here and what we're going to see encouraged is really, really hard to do. And as a matter of fact, if you try to put it into practice, you, Christian, if you try to do this, the chances are good that at least half of the people in this room will boo you and criticize you because that happens here. Someone does something that's really, really pleasing to Jesus, but... Someone else who loves Jesus a lot isn't real happy about it and tries to get him to do something different, okay? So here we go. And we're going to read these five verses and talk about what happens and apply it to our context. It's Mary and it's Martha. And you've um, probably thought about a lot about these two. Let's, let's stand in honor of God and his word. Let's read the passage first and then we'll get into it. This is Luke 10 beginning at verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, 
Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Father, we would remind ourselves of the gospel this morning. Your gospel. The good news that Jesus has fulfilled religion for us. That he has lived perfectly. That he died for our sins in our place. We confess Jesus Jesus Christ as our only hope, our only Savior, and we wait for his appearing with our eyes of faith resting upon his beautiful person. And now we give our attention to his words. Keep us in right interpretations and pray that you would empower a right response for his sake. We pray in his lovely name, Jesus Christ, amen. All right, please be seated. It's not hard to see here that Martha is the negative example. Martha's the negative example in the account, but let's say something positive about Martha first because there is something positive to say about Martha. She, according to verse 38, look, look in your text and see what she did right. Look at, look at the, the wonderful things that she did right. According to verse 38, she welcomed him into her house. And not only that, according to verse 40, um, she was busy with much serving. She is the servant here in this passage, which typically would earn her our great applause, wouldn't it? Because we commend that all the time. We preach that all the time. I say that all the time. You said it. Oh, they, you know, they have a servant heart. That's like the highest compliment you can give another Christian almost. Oh, they have such a servant heart, and that's what Martha is pouring herself into here. And isn't that wonderful? In any other context, we would um, be holding her up as the paragon of Christian virtue, this wonderful Martha. She's serving Jesus, and what a great example, working really hard. But we have indicators here, don't we, that she is not the positive example. She's not the example here of what we should shoot for. We see the word distracted attached to her in verse 40. We see the words anxious and troubled attached to her in verse 41. So whatever nobility we might attach to the idea of serving the Lord Jesus at least here in this passage, in this context, it's not the priority. It's not the highest priority compared to what we see from Mary. Mary is the positive example, isn't she? We're going to talk about what we see from her in just a moment, but first there's something important for us to stop and understand right here in this moment. There are lots of times when the scriptures redirect us away from bad things toward good things. We're really familiar with those times in the scriptures that we're redirected away from 
murder and stealing and adultery and gossip and lying to noble things, right? Lots of times in scriptures where we see that. Redirects us from evil toward good. This, on the other hand, is one of those rare situations where the scriptures redirect us away from something good toward something better. And here's what we need to take away. It is, it's okay to be a Christian and be really, really concerned with the things that you see happening around you in the world. It's okay to be zealous for righteousness. It's good to advocate for God in the public square. It's good to serve the poor. It's good to share the gospel. It's good to call people to repentance. It's good to disciple other people. It's good to teach. It's good to attend church. It's good to have scripture memorized. All of that is good, but the really important thing to realize right here at the end of Luke 10 is that all of those things can be happening in your life and you can be neglecting the main thing. Jesus may have a word of redirection for you. Even a word of rebuke for you. And that's what I want to ask you to consider this morning right at the outset as we get into this. Is, is it possible that Jesus may look at all of your activity that you're doing for him and have a word of redirection and even a word of rebuke for you? But I want you to notice, notice again, looking at the text, how tender and how personal his word of rebuke is. He's not condemning. He's not angry. He has a very tender word of rebuke that sounds like this, like the double saying of your name, Martha. Martha. So personal, so patient. He appreciates everything that she is doing for him. His rebuke is filled with tenderness for her, and I'm suggesting that it's the same potentially for you. It's good to stop and consider here in this moment in all of your busyness and all of your righteous zeal for what you want to see happen out there. And all the ways that you want to change culture and work for betterment and advocate for God, could it be that you're neglecting the main thing in the primary work of a Christian? Could it be that you're neglecting in your eagerness and in your zealousness the most important thing and maybe even have never known that more important than the work that we do for Jesus is the work that he does on us. That is the primary distinction between Mary and Martha in this passage. Martha's working for Jesus. Mary is allowing Jesus to work on her, to mold her heart and her mind. He is shaping her affections and her desires. He's 
making her a disciple, someone who bears his image. And what we see happening between Jesus and Mary, can't you just see her there in your mind? Can't you see her sitting at his feet? What we see happening here between those two, between Jesus and Mary, is what we could call Christ formation. Christ being formed in her. And our interest this morning is to notice the priority of Christ formation over every other kind of work and activity and concern. Okay, so let's talk about Mary's better choice. Let's say three things about Christ formation on the basis of this passage. And here's the first thing that we want to consider. We want to think about Christ formation as the easiest thing to neglect. Christ formation is the easiest thing to neglect. Why is it so easy to neglect? Well, because it looks unproductive. It looks unproductive. Mary's not running around and getting stuff done. We can see the things that Martha's accomplishing. Mary's not running around getting stuff done. She's not making a contribution to hospitality. She's sitting. She's not using her hands. She's only using her ears and her eyes and her mind. It all looks very unproductive. And that's one reason that it's easy to neglect Christ formation because it looks like nothing's happening. We think we're not accomplishing anything. Another reason that it's easy to neglect Christ formation is that it's likely to draw objections from others. Martha complains about Mary's Christ formation. She wants her to be doing something else, something more immediately helpful, making a visible contribution, right? So Christ formation, it looks unproductive. It's likely to draw objections from other people, even other servants of Christ who want to see more productivity from us. So it's very easy to neglect it. It's all kinds of weight against us doing that. And one of the present ironies of church culture, at least American evangelical church culture, is that the very institution which says it's committed to the word of God has developed a culture that places a higher value on productivity than deep formation in Christ. In direct contrast to this passage, we're really impressed with number of churches planted number of people converted, number of baptisms. How many programs do you have? We're really impressed with results, aren't we? And on the flip side, as Tozer pointed out 75 years ago, nothing is so poorly attended as a prayer meeting that quietest and most unproductive of meetings where nothing seems to be happening. Our very institution, the American church, has little regard for deep formation 
in Christ, we, we have to confess that we worship at the altar of results. We want to see bigger, want to see more, we want to see things we can measure. We've basically taken a business model for success and imposed it on the church, and the result has been bad, very, very bad. We have paid the price for value, valuing productivity over deep formation in Christ. What's happened is that we've ended up with a lot of pastors, a lot of ministry leaders, a lot of lay people who are very productive for a season, even an extended season, where we see lots of good things happening around them, lots of apparently successful ministry, but in the end, their attention to results and neglect of formation in Christ catches up with them and the damage that results to the church and the community is massive. And yet, we continue to push for results because that's what a money-driven, influence-driven system lives on. And because of that, Christ formation, which takes quiet, apparently unproductive time, is the easiest thing to neglect. We don't neglect it for bad reasons. We neglect it for good reasons. We want to see people converted. We want to see churches planted. We, we want to see people baptized. We want to see programs happening that benefit the community. All those things are good. We want to see the poor and the vulnerable served. Of course we do. All we're saying on the basis of this passage is that Martha has lots of good reasons for neglecting Christ formation. And that is rebuked by the very person we're serving. All of this is for Jesus. He's the one that rebukes it. Stop doing that for me. Do this instead. He's the one that redirects us, okay? It's the easiest thing to neglect. Here's the second thing. Christ formation as the thing which must not be neglected. Can't be neglected. Christ formation is the easiest thing to neglect on the one hand. On the other hand, it's the thing that can't be neglected, must not be neglected. What does Jesus mean when he tells Martha, verse 41, what does he mean when he says this? Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. What is that one thing that he speaks of? What's the one necessary thing? It's not a food dish. He's not saying you're preparing eight things and we only really need one thing. He's talking about Christ's formation. That's the necessary thing. He's talking about what Mary's doing. What's she doing? That's the one necessary thing. Sitting and listening to him being formed into his image. Jesus calls that the necessary thing. He also calls it the good thing. She's chosen the the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. More important than you working for Christ is Christ working on you.
It can't be neglected. Why not? Why can't, why can't we neglect deep formation in Christ? Here's the reason. Because truth, the Bible, truth in the hands of unformed Christians is very, very dangerous. Truth in the hands of unformed Christians is very, very dangerous. It was dangerous in the the Garden of Gethsemane. When Peter was flailing that sword around, thinking that he was doing the right thing, thinking that he was doing the thing that Jesus wanted him to do. He was cutting off people's ears. He was hurting people. And unformed Peter was swinging swords at people. And people were getting hurt. Truth in the hands of unformed Christians has been dangerous throughout church history. We could be here till. Nine o'clock tonight, giving examples of that. The Inquisition, the Crusades, all the abuses through the Middle Ages by the Western Church. Burning people at the stake. It wasn't pagans burning, burning people at the stake. The church was burning people at the stake. Unformed Christians. Christians that don't look like Jesus. Maybe it's been dangerous in you. Maybe truth in your hands has been dangerous to other people. It has been dangerous in me. I have a, a long and shameful period of my life. I've talked about this before. When I was swinging swords of righteousness at people, telling people what to do, telling them they were wrong, but with a, a prideful, unformed heart, a very busy heart that just had never taken time to get quiet and listen to Jesus. I thought I was doing the right thing. I was hurting people. Sending people running from the church and from Christ. Away. I was I thought I was making a war on unrighteousness and I was just being really ugly. haven't achieved anything. I'm just under formation to a much greater degree than I was before. Maybe you have a similar story. Christ's formation in you and in me is a thing which must not be neglected because far from being helpful to others, we are a danger to others and to the cause of Christ if we will not take time to be formed by him. If you are not being formed by Christ right now, you are a liability to your church or faith community, not an asset. The chances are good that you will wound others with your thoughtlessness and your gossip and your carelessness and your pride. Lack of sensitivity to the needs of others, desire for power. And what quiet time with Christ does is it, it trains and humbles us out of those things.
bit by bit over time. Okay, well, you may agree. Maybe you feel like I've made a good enough argument for that based on the text. You may be thinking, okay, well, clearly I need to get under formation here. And <laughs> there's some steps I need to take. I, I, I hope that's what all of us are taking away. You may not know where to start. Like, how do I start this whole Christ formation thing? I can't sit at Jesus' feet like Mary did, like physically in the room, so what am I supposed to do? I have a suggestion for you in just a moment. But before that, before making that suggestion, I want to ask you one other question first as you maybe take a a first step or first step in a long time toward Christ's formation. Here's the first question to ask yourself. Who is forming me right now? Already. Who am I listening to? Who is shaping my heart, my emotions, my thoughts about people? Who is shaping my opinions, my fears, my anxieties? Whose voice am I listening to every day? And who am I recommending that other people listen to? Whose banner am I already carrying? Who am I praising as having the answers? Whatever your answer to that question is, that's who you are a disciple of. And if you are a Christian, and if the answer, if the name is anything other than Jesus Christ, there is a problem, a big problem. So your first step is to walk away from your other teacher for the purpose of sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his voice. You gotta leave your old teacher. So what are you saying, Matt? Are you saying that we can never, never listen to anybody else? There's no human teacher worth listening to that can only be Jesus? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's not safe to listen to anyone else until you're so familiar with the voice of Jesus that you will recognize faithfulness to his message when you hear it. And until you get there, it's not safe to listen to anyone else. Not me, certainly not me. Paul and the other apostles are examples that it's okay to listen to other cheat teachers, make sure that you know the voice of Jesus first and best so you can recognize error when you hear it. Failure to discern who to listen to and who not to listen to creates a whole host of problems and evils. Make sure you get that right. So where do you begin? Maybe you need to walk away from your other teacher. Open your Bible, get quiet with Jesus, open to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. It's all there. There, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, you have access to the pure, unmediated word of Jesus Christ. And soak in it. Drink it in. It's for you to mold 
your heart and your mind in a completely countercultural way to look like Jesus. Jesus forming your heart with his words. We want to be out swinging swords. He wants us to sit down and, and listen. Christ formation is the one thing which can't be neglected. It's too dangerous. Mary models that here. Jesus affirms it as necessary and good. Okay, here's the last thing. Recap, Christ formation as the easiest thing to neglect. Christ formation is a thing which must not be neglected. Finally, Christ formation is the greatest gift to those around you. Christ's formation is the greatest gift to those around you. What does Martha think would be the greatest gift that she can receive in that moment? She thinks the greatest and best thing that Mary could do for her is to get up and help her for a few minutes. What she doesn't realize is that she is getting a greater gift than that from Mary. She's getting a lasting gift. Martha will benefit for years to come in countless ways because her sister has been shaped by Christ. What she wants is help in the moment. That's going to last for about half an hour. Her sister being formed into the image of Christ will benefit her for a lifetime. Why? Because Mary is learning to forgive. And Mary is learning to be selfless. And Mary is learning to love even when it's hard. Would you like to live with someone like that? Would you like someone like that in your family? Mary is learning to be humble and not proud. She's learning that whoever would be great must be a servant of all. She's learning to put others before herself. She's learning that she is a sinful person and in need of repentance. Do you think that that kind of formation will benefit her sister at some point? See, Jesus can't tell Mary to get up and go help her, either for her or for Martha. Martha would be losing the best thing. She'd be losing something much greater, a much greater gift. Martha's going to get that greater gift from Mary's discipleship than she could ever imagine. And the same is true for you, Christian. The greatest gift you can give to the other people around you is your own formation in Christ's. For your brothers, your sisters, your mom and dad, your spouse. At some point, um, when I sit down to do premarital counseling with couples, I think I almost always get to this. One of my favorite things to remind them and impress upon them is that the greatest gift that they can give to each other, the greatest gift that you can give to your spouse is your own quiet time with the Lord. Because we're not very good at taking counsel and advice from other people. We're not real good at receiving criticism and other people like subtly suggesting that we need to change. But when we have the scriptures open in front of us and quiet, 
The Holy Spirit can do that work of confronting our attitudes and revealing sin where we haven't seen it. Just get in the light of the word and be comforted by some things and be rebuked in other things. And as we listen and as we repent and as we obey, we are formed in Christ by the Spirit. Do you understand the value of having one person like that in your family or in your church? We can criticize Mary all we want for her lack of productivity. Yeah, so unproductive, so lazy, so thoughtless, not to help her sisters, so wasteful. But do you know what? Who will be a safe person to talk to when your marriage is in trouble and you need to talk to someone about it? Mary. Who will be a a peacemaker when there's conflict all over the church? Who's going to be the peacemaker? Mary. Who will be someone who can disciple a new believer? Mary. Who will be someone who forgives when there's been an offense? It will be Mary. Who will be an encourager in the community and not a divider? It will be Mary. Who will be that calm presence in a room that's full of angry people? It will be the one who's been formed into Christ. It will be Mary. Do you think a person like that has any value? There are a million sweet benefits that come to the community of faith when one person is being formed by Christ. I wonder what, if I ask you this question, what is the greatest need in the world and in the church today? How would you answer that question? What's the greatest need in the world and in the church today? The greatest need, both in the world and in the church, is for you to look like Jesus. And for me to look like Jesus. We don't need new policy. We don't need better policy. We don't need new leaders, better leaders, more books. We don't need more blogs. We don't need more people to wake up, fewer people to wake up. We don't need more content, more voices. We need unproductive, wasteful, contemplative, carefree, heedless, scandal-inducing, Christ-commended people to listen to him. To be quiet and listen. Everyone wants to talk and post and tweet and complain. Where are those who will just listen? Deep formation in Christ has been neglected in the church far too long. Maybe it's been neglected in you far too long. What are you anxious and troubled about? We should be anxious and troubled about that. that we have discouraged the quietness of Mary and applauded the activity of Martha. 
and we've reaped the consequences. There's a better way. There's a good way. Remember how tenderly Jesus calls you back. Very, very personally, very tenderly, with great appreciation for what you're doing. Reminding us that there's one necessary thing. That we can trust the work that he is doing in us when we're just quietly unproductive before him. And that's something really good for everyone around you. Right? Thank you, Father, for these wonderful words from Jesus. Just before we just move on too quickly to other things, um, we do confess, Father, that it's very easy for us to find our value and our productivity and give in to the signals we get from other people that want us to be productive and have neglected in many ways the main thing. Taking the time to get quiet with you and and be formed by the Spirit into the image of your Son. And so we, we collectively bring that desire to you today not expecting a performance or perfection from ourselves, but understanding that as we submit ourselves to you by faith and, uh, and come to you intent on listening, that you will um, honor that desire in us and do this secret work of the Holy Spirit um, by which we are changed. Something we can't do ourselves, but we love your son. We want this for his sake so much and for the sake of those around us. And I thank you for how you've advanced that today um, from our time in the Word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.